Today's episode of Raptors Reasonableness is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, fresh from his WrestleMania match, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Um, I'm battered, I'm bruised, but I'm uh, I'm I'm here to call out. Uh, and then the music hits, and I don't get to say whatever I was going to say. I'm okay. How you doing? Fine. Certainly, certainly more prepared for the start of this podcast than you are, apparently. Well, I don't know. I didn't think a WrestleMania question was going to come. You didn't think doing a podcast with me the Tuesday after WrestleMania wasn't going to have WrestleMania talk very early on. Uh, Okay. Well, I did watch last night the uh, the Fiend John Cena. um, The Firefly Funhouse. Yeah, we I don't think we can call it a match. I, we, I I watched the vignette and it was interesting. I uh, I enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, it's uh, actually a special treat today. We're doing the same thing for you that Bray Wyatt did for John Cena, <laughs> and we're just going to really strangely um, float through your subconscious and explore all your insecurities, Eric. <laughs> Ooh, that would be. Uh, I think that would be a low-rated episode. Um, uh, not many downloads or or streams or whatever on on that one i don't think people are as interested in me as i am interested in me john cena might have a bit more universal appeal is what i'm saying yeah probably you know it would also be weird when we jump back 10 years and you look pretty much the exact same you don't uh, have the the range of uh aesthetic yeah be skinnier course of your career yeah it'd be skinnier um, but even then, like, I don't even know if it would be that noticeable. No. Because, like, my, you're still pretty skinny. Yeah, my hair uh, really just confuses things, I think, um, and makes me look perpetually skinny, or it contributes to it. And the beard obviously can hide some... Uh, don't tell anybody, this is a secret. The beard can hide some uh, some fat, maybe. So, uh for all you stylists out there, or, or not even stylists, just people looking to to uh, hide a few pounds, grow a beard. It's a great strategy. Yeah, as someone who's fluctuated weight dramatically my entire life, that's a, that's a good tip. Also, thank goodness during all this stay in, no one can go to a barber stuff. I know people can like shave at home, but man, is it reassuring to be a beard person. I can't imagine what it's like for people who are, you know, going through that without... Without good facial hair, it's gotta be tough. I well, can't imagine having to like get up and shat and shave. But Although I haven't people, shaved in like six years, so I don't. Understand. Some people do that every day, though. Like, yeah, that's just a thing they do. So, and I, I don't think, I think the biggest trouble in terms of beards would be for beard maintenance, like people who want a beard but uh, aren't used to having to, you know, maintain it every week or every few days, whatever. It requires, so uh, maybe at the end of this podcast, we can get to your beard maintenance tips. 
Maybe. There aren't a lot of tips. Grow a good beard. <laughs> Very Ron Swanson of me. If just, <laughs> yeah. if, just do it. Yeah. Just, uh... All right. Uh, we are going to talk about basketball at some point on this podcast. Momentarily, we're going to be joined by former NBA executive John Hollinger. We're going to talk about uh, Bobby Webster and the Chicago Bulls. We're going to talk about Terrence Davis and how really good players managed to go undrafted in the information age. Uh, we're going to be right back with John Hollinger. All right, we're joined now by former NBA executive and noted fellow Jose Calderon enthusiast, John Hollinger. John, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us. I'm, I'm doing great and uh, just uh, just excited to talk about Jose and whatever else you want to talk about today. <laughs> just Jose. That's all I ever want to talk about is Jose Calderon and how he was snubbed from the All-Star team in one of the most efficient seasons in, you know, Eastern Conference, at least in the, in the 2000s. That's right. You know, I had forgotten about that year. Yeah. That's I remember right. I remember really reading you. And, and yeah, yeah. 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 You were on it. He was uh he was a big PER guy. Obviously the the hyper efficient shooting splits. I think he finished that year at like 49.7, 40.698.1. Yeah, uh, he had that crazy sharp. free throw streak, right? Yeah, we had 141 for 143 or something like that. You choked Actually, at 151 for 154. I should know this. I wrote about him the other day. <laughs> Uh, Blake, for your for uh, the record, had a dog, and he named named him Jose. So uh, that's that's uh, on the record now. So thank you okay. for validating me back in two thousand nine. Okay, you d- you didn't name your dog Rafael. <laughs> I did not. Uh, more recent years, when I've done Fosters, I I, I considered Bruno as a name. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, didn't get to that point. Um, guys, you, you, if you're listening, obviously know John Hollinger, I'm sure you can follow him on Twitter at John Hollinger. Um, his addition to the athletic this year has been awesome. And you can check out his stuff at theathletic.com slash author slash John dash Hollinger. Um, if you're not a subscriber yet and you're listening to this, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off a subscription right now. And I think those 90 day free trials are still kicking around. The reason we've brought John on today, other than that he's great and we'll take any opportunity to talk to him, is that John has been going through kind of team by team and working with a, often working with a writer from uh, each beat to kind of do a state of the franchise. Um, We have a lot of time and runway here to kind of zoom out and and get a snapshot of these teams. And John's been going through that, um, you know, recently did one with the Miami Heat with Andre Fernandez, one with the New York Knicks with Mike Vorkanov. And there are a bunch of other ones you can check those out. The one we want to talk about most today wasn't quite the same format, but John, on Saturday, you wrote about the Bulls and their search for yeah. a new head of basketball operations. A name that has come up per reporting from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski is Toronto Raptors general manager Bobby Webster. So that's what we wanted to talk to you about first and foremost uh, to kind of get your feel for what the Bulls search is going to look like and, and where Bobby Webster might fit in that. Yeah, sure. First of all, Get used to this. Bobby's name is going to come up for every oh, yeah. open front office job uh, up until the point where he's either uh, either Masai goes and he becomes the head honcho of the Raptors or somebody finally lures him away. Um, he is going to be running a team at some point. And so it's it's in a way he's in a really good spot because he can kind of look this over and say, well, is you know, is is this what I want or am I better off? kind of waiting to see if Masai makes his move and I can run the Raptors or is is it better waiting for another team to come calling that might be a better situation. I think the 
the issue in Chicago um, that I think people are having questions about, and I think that's maybe one reason uh, I'm speculating here that uh, that Chad Buchanan pulled his name out, the uh, GM with the Pacers, who's also going to be a hot candidate for a lot of these other jobs, um, is that uh, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty still how much uh, John Paxson and Doug Collins are going to be whispering in the owner's ear because it seems like they're not being pushed entirely out of the picture. And so even though it's it theoretically is an overseeing kind of president of basketball operations type of role, it some people are questioning whether that's really what it's going to be in practice. And and I think that's that's where some of the hesitancy might be on some of the from some of these candidates and where they're really going to want to get clarity from uh bulls owner michael reinsdorf as to as to what this job really is um there has been a few reports john and thanks again for joining us that the time when this is happening obviously a bizarre time for not only the nba for the whole world but the league is sort of in a pause status and the bulls uh the Bulls having an opening and looking to fill that opening is sort of the only active news going on that isn't coronavirus related. Yeah. How might that impact things? Do you have any read on on sort of how the current landscape would or or will not impact things? Is this a is this a normal can, can this affect how a job search is conducted? Well, obviously, I mean, most of the times you would interview somebody in person, and I don't think that's happening in the yeah. current environment. So yeah. that's that's probably the biggest holdup. But I think what's going to happen here is teams are going to start getting on with some of their off-season work, uh, especially teams that aren't in the playoffs. And I think you're going to see that at some point here on the coaching front, too, where teams will either assume the season isn't coming back until the fall or decide even if it is it's worth it to just go ahead and make change make the changes they want right now because they have so much more time to execute those changes whereas if the team if the season does come back in the summer then you have this very short off season between whatever happens in the summer and whenever they start in the fall and it's a lot harder to implement organize, organizational changes in that time frame John, um, one of the the sticking points with a Bobby Webster beyond you know autonomy and control would be that he has a year left on his deal, and because Masai Jiri changed his job title to president a few years ago, um, you know he did that with the intention of being able to keep his front office together a little longer, give Bobby Webster a, a bump to the general manager title. So um, this could be a situation where MLSE maybe doesn't approve permission to to speak to Bobby Webster unless that president title uh, or director of basketball operations gets dangled and is a promotion. And then there's also the possibility that they could negotiate compensation. When the Raptors lost uh, Jeff Weltman to the Orlando Magic the other year, Weltman received a bump from general manager to president, president and the Raptors received a second round pick. Uh, before we get into what that could possibly look like for um, a Toronto-Chicago discussion around Webster. I'm curious as to if it ever crossed your mind when you were in a front office that if you were looking to change organizations, there could have been draft pick compensation attached to you and what that would have felt like. 
Uh, yeah, they probably they probably would have needed to give the other team the picks to take me. So yeah. I, I don't know if that John that John Hollinger comes much. with sweetener. <laughs> yeah, yeah that Damari Carroll situation. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it, compensation for for executives honestly is pretty rare. Um, so uh, the the Weltman case was was actually a little unusual. I don't know how much time Jeff had left on his deal at that time. And I don't know if that was a factor, but generally when it's a clear promotion, uh, the team doesn't stand in the guy's way. So uh, that and th- that's going to get tricky, I think, if if it's a job that Bobby's genuinely interested in and they deny permission. I think you you set up a, a prickly situation internally. And, and so that can get that can get difficult. And, you know, you, I know that I guess they changed his title to president or whatever, but that's, I mean, that's job inflation at the end of the day, right? Yeah. He's the number two decision maker in Toronto, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, you can call him the grand poobah or whatever, but he's still the number two decision maker, right? And so yeah. to move, to move to a job where he's the number one decision maker and block him from doing that, I think that's, unusual in in the protocol of of how the league has operated i remember when weltman was hired away by the magic and and Masai was pretty open saying i tried to give him a new title so to fool people to not take him but uh it, it did not work <laughs> so he was pretty open about that um you know you've been doing these state of the teams uh for for the last you know little bit uh, i don't think you've done one with the bulls but how would you assess that job just from the outside looking in? Yeah, so I wrote about this for The Athletic over the weekend. Yeah. I actually think if you if you have control, it's a pretty good job because you're coming in at a point where the expectations are pretty low, but the cap sheet is going to be pretty clean after this year. They actually have a stable of four or five young players who none of whom are probably stars, but are pieces, right? Who are who are elements of what the next good team in Chicago could be if they can land a star player or two as a centerpiece. Um, and then the third element of it is Chicago, even though it's cold um, and it has terrible pizza, it actually <laughs> uh, is something of a destination for free agents. I mean, they were able to get Dwayne Wade out of Miami, for instance. Like there, there's a there's a wide pool of NBA players who have some Chicago roots, A. And B, it's a large enough city that I think uh, players don't view it the way they do, I don't know, going to Minnesota or Charlotte or something. It's like Chicago has some cachet. Yeah, Bobby Webster has Chicago roots as well. His father's from there, and Bobby's kind of told the story of watching Bulls games uh, in Hawaii with, with his dad. So, um, And then uh, his his wife, I believe, is from New York, so you at least get uh, a little closer there. Not Maybe not materially so, but... Um, you know, you don't have to deal with customs as much and stuff. But there's a connection there as well. And I personally love Chicago. Uh, yeah, and then they've got a they've got a lottery pick coming too, depending on when we resume and how we resume things. So I, uh, yeah, not a not a bad spot to to go into if you think you've got three four years of, of runway of full control there. Yeah, exactly. And that so that's why it's it's all going to get back to that question: Am I really in charge here? 
Yeah. Um, so if we can pivot a little bit, you haven't done one of those state of the franchise yet for the Raptors. I think everyone would agree they're in at least decent shape. Um, but the first, the I want to ask you a, a few Raptors things looking forward to that, are, that aren't Bobby Webster. The first one, though, is um, you kind of already spoiled the ending for the biggest offseason question for the Raptors. You think Stanley Johnson's opting in? <laughs> Yes, I actually, I wrote a piece for The Athletic evaluating all 41 players with player and team options this offseason, including Stanley Johnson. Uh, yes, I, I, I think he should opt in and uh, take that, <laughs> take that uh, nearly $4 million he has coming from the Raptors next year, um, pro- proving that even the, even the Raptors front office is capable of making a mistake once in a while. One, $1 million per minute per game. There you go. Yeah, That's, yeah, exactly. Um, you do, you did, you know, you did frame that as, hey, like the Raptors do occasionally make mistakes, but I do think that that undercuts that, you know, the Raptors at this point with this era and this front office, um, you know, get the benefit of the doubt with a lot of these things. I remember at the time being a little surprised that, you know, it was that player friendly a deal that that Stanley Johnson not only got uh, the the nearly four million, but also a player option, whereas say a Rondé Hollis Jefferson got one year no option. Um, less less dollar value. Um, I guess you know the, the the Raptors are not infallible then. But how would you evaluate what they're working with, kind of looking forward at, at a high level here? I mean, they're they're in good shape. I mean, they they still have a lot of good players and a lot of good players who are likely to be on the team for a long time. When you look at Pascal Siakam, just made an All Star team, just signed an extension. Uh, they still have OG Ananobi and Terrence Davis on rookie deals. They still have Norm Powell for a couple more years. Um, they do have three important free agents coming up, though. I mean, Fred VanVleet, Serge Ibaka, Marcus All will all be unrestricted free agents. Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who ended up, as you mentioned, playing a pretty decent-sized role for this team, will also be an unrestricted free agent. So there, there are some, uh, there are some important decisions coming this offseason. Chris Boucher, I believe, is a restricted free agent. Do I have that right? He sure is. Yeah, yeah. Um, La Québécois, as uh, (laughs) Kareen, I believe, uh, named him that. That is, it's a politically fraught nickname. The Bla Québécois have some uh, troubling uh, policies. Uh, It's not just wanting separation for Quebec, uh, but we're... We're a basketball podcast. We're not going to get nickname too far overruled. <laughs> um, but you see, in the states, I can use it because nobody knows that. <laughs> yeah, even in Canada, not many people know it. Like you'd have to get into their whole platform to to know where they're going. And uh, right. I don't... my question would be, why does he need another nickname? He's already got Slim Duck. He goes. He uses bone slickness sometimes. He was Swatter Boy. At like the at um, Oregon for the Boucher Waterboy connection, he's got enough nicknames. We don't need to force another one. That's Swatterboy. Uh, okay, I like I like Swatterboy. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, I remember at summer league one year he wore a Bobby Boucher like Waterboy jersey. Nice. It's, nice. He's he leaned into it hard. Yeah, he has no problem uh, promoting that. He hasn't come up with his own brand like so many of the other Raptors, but. If he sticks with the team, uh, it seems like only a matter of time. Um, you mentioned Van Vliet. Uh, I think he's the free agent that Raptors fans and probably the Raptors themselves have the most uh, questions about. And obviously, before we know exactly what the cap situation is going to look like, it's 
a lot of guesswork. We don't know if there's going to be cap smoothing. If there isn't, if they decide, you know, to hell with the class of 2020, they can take their hit. So 2021 could uh, benefit even more. Um, but, you know, all things being equal, and again, we don't know what that means. How do you assess the market for Fred Van Vliet, who is 26 and, and one of, if not the best, uh, unrestricted free agents on the market. Well, particularly at his position and which is going to leave him in prime position to get over overpaid by a desperate team. And so that's going to that's going to put the Raptors in a tough spot to decide what is he really worth to them in terms of and also in terms of signing him at a big enough number really compromises their ability to do anything in 21 and I know the Raptors uh have had eyes on on Giannis Antetokounmpo in particular, and and that would be the summer that he would potentially become a free agent. So first, I've heard of that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's I guess it's still pretty top secret around the league, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Toronto doesn't have a big Greek community, and and they certainly that Greek community certainly hasn't been uh, organizing events. For him, post, <laughs> post box games for years. Uh, that I not- still believe. So there was, I think it was December thirtieth, two thousand eighteen, going into two thousand nineteen. There was a WWE house show at Rico Coliseum, which is a small. It's like where they held the uh, the G League All Star Game and the Celebrity Game when All Star Weekend was here. And there okay. was like a non televised WWE event, and I ran into Giannis there. And between that and the Greek community, I actually think that so Toronto has something called Greek Town Wrestling. I'm pretty sure that's just like a Maasai plant. <laughs> well, let's 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 hope all the all this uh, all this uh, strategy ends up ends up working out for them. Uh, now, sorry, I've derailed I, your point. Can I, about can I, can I interest you in? Uh, yeah. Can I interest the Toronto Greek community in uh, former Grizzly Nick Kalathis as a as a fallback <laughs> plan? Perfect, perfect. Uh, I think I've derailed your your Fred Van Vliet answer enough, John. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Um, so, um, you know, and I see two teams out there in particular: uh, Detroit, who needs a point guard and has Dwayne Casey as the head coach. Um, and has oodles of cap space. Regardless of what happens with the cap, they're going to have enough money to to make a overwhelming offer to Van Vliet if they want to. Uh, and then the Knicks, who need a point guard and are known to be irresponsible with their money. <laughs> it's a new era, though. Have you considered that it's a new era? It's a new era, but every new <laughs> era ends the same in New York. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, right. that's fair. It's the same movie over and over again. Uh, like, the one other, the one other kind of longer term thing to keep an eye on for the Raptors, I think, and I know it's someone you feel passionately about, so I wanted to to ask you about him quickly. Uh, Terrence Davis has had quite the rookie year. Yes. He'd be a restricted free agent with a tasty low cap hold in 2021, so yep. doesn't sacrifice 2021 free agents free agent plans really. Um, but what have you seen from him? And are you still like? I think you're the only person who's shouted more than me about how did this guy go undrafted? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just a good player. I mean, he, you know, he's pretty, pretty athletic can shoot, uh, reads the floor pretty well. He's still pretty, pretty right-handed. I don't know if he's going to, his shooting numbers are better than I expected to be honest from what he did at Ole Miss. And I don't know if that's Toronto's, 
player development staff correcting some stuff because they, they've had good success with taking guys who were kind of shaky shooters as they came in and really Im- improving them as shooters. They've done it with, I mean, if you look at most of their key players, Ananobi couldn't shoot at all in college. Siakam couldn't shoot when he got into the league. Uh, Norm Powell was a very shaky shooter at UCLA. Van Vliet even was uh, pretty inconsistent as, as a long-range shooter. And, and they've made all four of them into really reliable shooters. And you wonder if they've done that a little bit again with, with Davis. But the, I mean, the other stuff you see, I mean, he's an NBA athlete. He can defend the position. He rebounds well for his size. Like all that stuff is going to, is going to stay with him and be there. Like he's going to be at at worst, he's going to be a role player in the league for a long time. Quickly. uh, Do you have a read on what the center market might be just because the Raptors do have their two main centers? And if you're counting Chris Boucher, they're, Really, they're three yeah. centers, uh, all in a state of flux this, this Yeah, offseason. I mean, everyone kind of hates centers right now, which plays to the Raptors' favor, uh, you know, with, with Gasol and Ibaka. I don't think they're either of them are going to get long-term deals because of their age. Uh, the team I'd have my eye on a little, and I, I discussed this a little in my back and forth with uh, with Andre Fernandez on The Athletic, uh, which is, is out today. Um Miami could be a team because they're kind of positioning themselves the same as Toronto to be players in the 21 market where they could make a strong one-year deal for either Gasol or Ibaka. They're going to have $27 million in cap room depending on where the number comes in. So they'd be, I would say, a threat. Um, but there's not that many other threats out there where you have a combination of are they a good enough team to want to bother with someone in their 30s and do they have – a need at center and the room to go over the mid-level for guys like Mark and Serge. Well, thanks, John. Um, we said we'd only take 20 of your time here, so uh, I guess we should let you go. But thank you so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, au revoir to, our fans, to your fans in Quebec. <laughs> uh, guys, you can follow John at John Hollinger on Twitter, of course, uh, at theathletic.com slash author slash John dash Hollinger, where he's going through the league with state of the franchises uh, for most teams. We'll get to a Raptors one eventually, I hope. And if you hadn't read it yet, um, his piece Saturday on the Chicago Bulls GM search sheds a little light on um, what we might expect and what we might be hearing in the coming weeks as far as the Bulls and Bobby Webster are concerned. Uh, John, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, it's nice to have someone uh, taking the podcast more seriously than me on for a little bit. <laughs> uh, Hollinger's great. Uh, dibs on doing that state of the franchise with him once it gets around to Toronto. Yeah. No, I, I don't play nicely with others. So uh, it's all you. Uh, but who knows? Dibs don't mean anything. You're already stealing one of my dibs for another piece. So. Oh, my God. Lead writer <laughs> stuff, you know? Yeah. Well... In our next contract negotiations, we can uh, we can iron these things out. Yeah, another 2021 free agent situation. <laughs> oh boy, boy, wherever wherever Giannis goes, I'm going. Uh, I, could be, I could be Eric Names number two in Milwaukee. I could could be off to Miami. Good oh, Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not shitty, Eric. What an upgrade! <laughs> what an upgrade! Um. Those who are unclear, we had a Slack chat during the Raptors Buck series last year, and it got confusing that there were two Eric's that we were referring to uh, because our counterpart in Milwaukee is Eric Name, and I started referring to them as Good Eric, Eric Name in Milwaukee, and Shitty Eric, Eric Kareen here in Toronto. Obviously, I don't mean that. Uh, I have a great fondness for you, 
Oh, play. And you work better with others than uh, you're letting on. Like, for example, last week when we did the uh, He Should Have Played More Toronto Raptors All-Stars, which followed from the week prior the Alphanire All-Stars. The He Should Have Played More All-Stars, I think, got... I think it surprised me that people had more suggestions for that team. Like, like the fan hour one, I understand because I think people remember more distinctly the guys that they disliked seeing yeah. rather than the guys they would have liked to see a few more minutes from. But some of the ones that got thrown at us that should have been on the he should have played more all-stars, uh, the he should have played more on the he should have played more all-stars, <laughs> all-stars, if you will. Uh, I disagreed with some of them. People's bar for that was was lower than mine. Yeah, like I found it even tough to like we we listed ten people and ten players, and I, I really tried to think of like go back into my memory banks and really try to remember the movements. Like the only one of the ten I listed that I don't actually remember the movement for, but know that it existed, was Tracy McGrady. Um, and just which looking, in retrospect is yes, insane. obviously it's insane yeah. like that he played 23 minutes in his second season like that uh, on you know a uh, wayward team uh that that was not great <laughs> um but uh other than that like I, I remember people being upset about keon clark certainly you know we James Johnson and, and Jonas were sort of lightning rods in, in their early, or, or in Johnson's case, in his late Raptors years, in his second Raptors tenure. Um, I don't think as much in his first Raptors tenure because... No, he played a lot in his first yeah, tenure, no, and like he wasn't as good yet as yeah. his second tenure. Yeah, I don't think... There, were, there weren't many Raptors in that era who people were clamoring to see more of, which was part of the problem. Um, yeah, and, and that's part of the problem with making a team like this yeah. versus an all-fan-hour team. And when I was, you know, in one of my explanations, I mentioned that, you know, it's not universal that for every guy you don't want to see, there's a guy whose minutes he's taking. Like, in the case of John Sammons, it was just, for me, it was just anyone else. I yeah. don't care who. Just play <laughs> anyone else. Yeah. Um, we massaged the positions a little bit just because the, the 10 names were a little... Uh, they were they had size. They were, it was like a Sixers roster construction. So we had to massage uh, positions a little bit. At point guard, we had Jose Calderon via 2007-2008 and Alvin Williams around 2000-2001. At shooting guard, we had this year's version of Terrence Davis. Uh, an honorable mention to Matt Thomas, who I think could have shared the spot, but probably spent too much time injured to have a strong case. Uh, backed up by Landry Fields, who obviously were playing out of position. And of course, Landry Fields is career with the Raptors was not all that great and not warrant did not warrant often that he should have played more however in April 2014 I was losing my mind over Landry Fields you weren't alone by the way like I I remember covering that series and I remember after game one in which Fields picked up a DNP CD and Joe Johnson did Joe Johnson things I I want to say um uh, and Terrence Ross mostly Terrence Ross, but a host of players looked woefully overmatched. People were like, where's Landry Fields? And then Landry Fields played in game two and gave them solid defensive minutes, and the Raptors and won. And they got hurt, of course. Yes. And that, that, was, the he, end. Yeah. that was the he end of the Landry Fields. He actually wasn't ruled out for a game, but yeah. <laughs> that was the end of the Landry Fields conversation. But uh, sure it, it did exist for people who can't remember it. 
Um, at small forward, we had 98-99 Tracy McGrady. Uh, and then backed up by James Johnson, who I said May 2016, and I think I meant May 2015. Um, you obviously in the lead to this column kind of talked about uh, James Johnson's role in that um what was it? The Wizards series. Yeah. And I had mentioned the Miami Heat series because it was another Joe Johnson thing. Um, but at that point, James Johnson was, you know, he's still underutilized, but more to maybe not his own fault, but more understandable extent by the end of his rapid yeah. tenure. And may I add that James Johnson, to my knowledge, is the only one of these players to not only back up his coach, but offer an explanation as to why he wasn't playing more in that Washington series saying he did also that November that followed that he tweeted out underutilized. Oh yeah. Uh, Like nothing about James Johnson was particularly consistent. So you shouldn't (laughs) expect him to, to speak on the matter consistently, but he did say he was uh, a bit lost on the, in, in the power forward position in the Raptors offense, uh, which Dwayne Casey was glad to accept as uh, and expand upon when asked by it by the uh, questioning media. Boy, do I can, can I envision the column that I would write if now in 2020 a player and a coach were like, oh yeah, he only knows the offense from one of these two almost exactly the same positions. Uh, yeah, there Boy, was. Would I have a take? Yeah, uh, I mean, now it really would not look good on anybody, particularly the coaching staff. Uh, back then there was, I mean, A, there was more stratification of positions and B, we just didn't think about it in the same way. We didn't think about positional flexibility. Uh, so it did, uh, whether it was or not, uh, you'd have to go back and watch the tape and really get some truth serum into some important figures. Uh, but it did seem more plausible in 2015 than it does in 2020. Uh, then at power forward, we had Eric Green's close personal friend, Ed Davis. Boss. Uh, one, of your, one of your favorites, of course. We should we should do like an all-interview team at some point, and you can just share stories of, you know, maybe you can't share your best Ed Davis stories. But... <laughs> uh, he, he, Ed Davis is more like pleasant than a great interview. I, I feel like he, in, uh, in different ways, very different personalities, but him and Amir Johnson are very similar in that like, I don't remember like a a really great in-depth interview I had with him. In fact, like I did a feature on Ed Davis in his rookie season and we went to real sports uh, and it was very awkward um, because it was the beginning of my career and the beginning of his career. And I I think... And you tend to be a little awkward anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. I hadn't yet embraced my awkwardness either. I I was trying to hide it. Never, just just be you. But uh, just a very friendly and very pleasant person to uh, shoot the shit with, as it were. Uh, that pleasant person is backed up by Keon Clark at the power forward position. Uh, maybe a less heartwarming uh, backstory there with Keon Clark. Also, Keon Clark actually got the opportunity that I think people wanted for him eventually, and... It wasn't that great. No, he that. he was more ideally suited as a first big off the bench than uh, than a center. Uh, as I noted, what was it? I think they went the Raptors in two thousand one, two thousand two, went four and twenty three, four and twenty three to start the year with with uh, 
when Clark was starting in his first 27 games. And then the that record got a few wins at the end of the year as the Raptors scraped into the playoffs. But Clark, Clark starting over Hakeem or Eric Montross, whatever the case may be, uh, was not the answer. Although he had, he had a pretty nice playoff series against Detroit. What a sentence. Keon Clark should start over Hakeem Olajuwon on the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> but, uh, it'll still never make a ton of sense. Uh, then at the center position, probably the most dramatic uh, he should play more position. Jonas Valanciunas, of course, starts. Valanciunas uh, and James Johnson were the two threats. And I guess Landry Fields at, at one point too, but Landry Fields never played all that much. But they both like probably had a case to be on the fan IR All-Stars and the he should have played more All-Stars because they were so divisive. Uh, Jonas had to be the starting center on this team, though. He's pro- he might be the captain. Of this I, n- I named him captain without your uh, without your oh. approval. Uh, I wrote starter and captain, so uh, Perfect. he's the captain. He's the captain now. He is the captain. And there were, uh, yeah, you also, yeah, the time of peak outrage I put literally always <laughs> instead of picking one particular time. JV Hive split one of the most active fan- online fan bases down the middle for years. And that debate still somehow is going with things like, could the Raptors have won the championship with with Jonas Valanciunas instead of Marcus Gasol? I'm extremely fond of Jonas Valanciunas. I don't think they beat the Philadelphia 76ers without Marcus Gasol. Me neither. Uh, and then backing up, Lucas Noguera, who you had to figure I was going to find a way to throw him on this team. Um, when we did the fan IR All-Stars, I did like an honorable mention for each position. We didn't do that for this one. But just so everyone knows, if we did, I would have somehow worked Bruno onto this team as well because he should have played more in garbage time. They should have had a quicker transition to emptying the bench in those Dwayne Casey years when they would win a lot of games by like 15 points and Bruno should have got more garbage time. The case for Lucas Noguera is much more... Um, reasonable and tangible i think because based on advanced metrics lucas noguera impacted winning more than pretty much any low used raptors rotation player ever uh he just made perfect sense and as you wrote in those lowry and bench lineups as a low usage lob threat the rim protection was obviously just sterling when when he was out there uh like James Johnson, often saw too much of the floor with his passing vision, but uh, it could result in beautiful moments like that that pass to C.J. Miles in Game 1 of, uh, I believe it was, yeah, Game 1 of the series against Washington in 2018. Um, and then certainly a fountain of off-day stories. So uh, yes. it, it would have been better if he played more from our perspective as well. Shout out to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Keen, apparently. As, as well as uh, the acting chops of Charlie Chaplin. Yes. No, the musical. The musical yes. chops of Charlie Chaplin. Yes. That's like, uh, yeah, what a weird thing. It's like, yeah, 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 I'm a Jason Schwartzman fan, but actually I just really liked him as the drummer of Phantom Planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, what, what a guy, Lucas Noguera. All right. That wraps up the He Should Have Played More All-Stars, um, which followed the Fan IR All-Stars. Eric, you and I are going to do another kind of collaborative piece like that. We're not going to give it away, but I'm going to ask the listeners if you have a suggestion for how Eric and I should determine who gets the number one pick in something we're going to be doing on this podcast coming up. Uh, please tweet at us and let us know how we should determine the number one pick. Because I, I don't have ideas, and I feel like just randomly one of us taking it is 
not unfair because who cares? It's not that big a deal. But, uh, you know, in the spirit of competition. What we should have done is we should have picked all the winners for the WrestleMania matches. Yeah. yeah did better, got the number one pick. Um, this was a prime spot for you to just say, uh, I'll take the first uh, pick. And then Eric, as the lead writer, you can just take it from me. Yeah, that that would also work. Maybe we can pick the winners of UFC's Death Island and uh, whoever whoever wins that. <laughs> I feel like you're at a... I mean, obviously, I could do some reading, but I know nothing about UFC. So I, I feel yeah. like you would have an advantage there. Um, also, I don't really know how that whole thing's going to turn out. Um, you know, I don't think... Uh, if anyone is watching what's going on with the UFC and then... Obviously, this is not uh, sport in the same way, but it's following some of the same protocols and some of the same loophole jumping uh, the WWE and AEW. Uh, some of these combat sports where you can get away with two people and an official in a small area and then a handful of spread out ancillary staff are really stretching the limits of uh, what we're allowed to do right now. Um, the joke I'm making about Death Island is there, Dana White has basically said he's going to fly all his fighters to... Uh, private island so the ufc can still keep producing content wwe and AEW are recording shows at secret locations um there's a lot of weirdness going on and i just mention it in i'm taking it from a non-joke to from a joke to a non-joke just to say that if you are watching what's going on with other things like that or even things like the mlb kicking around the idea of playing all their games in arizona i would not get your hopes up about any near-term solutions adam silver has been pretty adamant that you know, the league doesn't foresee being able to put any kind of timeline on things until at least the beginning of May. Um, the NBA, you know, in what they've said publicly and what they've kind of anonymously said to um, people like Baxter Holmes of ESPN, who had a piece the other day about the COVID-19 situation, uh, reading between the lines, the NBA is not going to mess up their PR by being the first team to push this and rush this and do something sloppy ahead of where society at large uh, is ready to be. So if you see things like, oh, WrestleMania went on as planned, or, oh, the UFC is remaking the movie The Condemned, but in real life, or even baseball <laughs> kicking around the idea of an Arizona league, uh, don't get your hopes up too much yet. I don't think we're going to have much clarity on the NBA side until at least early May. Uh, Eric, I, I for one, I for one am surprised that Vince McMahon and Dana White are not the uh, moral leaders that we need at this time. The idea of both of them being on the call with Adam Silver and Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred and Gary Bettman the other day with Donald Trump is hilarious to me. Yeah, it's great. How Vince and Donald Trump put their differences aside <laughs> from their WrestleMania feud, I don't know. But you know, the country's in crisis. That maybe. Maybe Vince and Donald Trump are, uh, are on the same. It's like now. Doug Ford and Christia Freeland here in uh, Canada and Ontario. You you find a way when there's a there's a crisis, or at least some. Yeah, but some, they're, some they're political opponents, not WrestleMania opponents. That's a huge difference in severity. Meaning, of course, that WrestleMania opponents is a much more serious thing. <laughs> yes, yes, clearly. Um, this WrestleMania did not include the president. Uh, I was watching, I went back and watched WrestleMania 10, I think it was, which is the Owen Hart, Bret Hart one, and they like cut to multiple Bill Clinton interviews in the crowd. It's uh, <laughs> it's weird. It's very weird. Uh, uh, right, at, least should, uh, at least there's one constant, uh, and that is the WWE. Yeah, WrestleMania 23, by the way, if you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about, Vince McMahon and Donald Trump, uh, they didn't fight each other. Really, they they scuffled, but they each picked wrestlers to go against each other as like avatars for themselves, which was uh, 
Sure was a lot. I was I went to like a, an independent wrestling event at one point um, called Smash Wrestling, which is a local one here yep. in Toronto and Mississauga. And Bobby Lashley was on this before he had returned to the WWE. And Bobby Lashley was the wrestler who wrestled for Trump, and he was selling like signed pictures of him and Trump for like forty dollars. <laughs> it was it was weird. Well, hopefully he made some money. Um, all right, Eric, the one thing we, uh, in case anyone was listening and doesn't follow you, which would be, I guess, a little weird, but maybe not everyone is terminally online, uh, your Can Rock bracket wrapped up yes. since we've last recorded. How do you feel about how that turned out? I'm fine with it. Um, I, you know, the Tragically Hip didn't get any less than uh, 75% of their vote in any of their uh, matchups uh, in their march to inevitable victory. Uh, you know, it would have been cool if it had been closer, but I'm not particularly surprised. Uh, it, uh, you know, the having all the one seeds in the final four was sort of a validation of the seeding, which I feel good about. Um, it, it was fun. I hope people had fun with it. I was, you know, just like any everybody else was trying to create fun distractions that... Send you through endless YouTube rabbit holes um, or Spotify rabbit holes, as the case may be, or Apple Music rabbit holes. So uh, it was cool. And I, I saw somebody had put together like a 2000 Canadian Indies uh, uh, bracket, uh, you know, and, and that was inspired by that. And so that was a fun thing to read, uh, to, to look through quickly. Um, you know, there's... Some some entertaining content that's trying to distract us from whatever it is that's going on out there in the world, most of which obviously isn't pleasant. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of Instagram brackets for like emo and pop punk going around and stuff, and uh, I'm not participating because at some point I'll probably get bored enough to do like a 128 band super bracket of emo and pop punk, uh, maybe in association with Columbia House Party, my other thing. Yes. We'll see. Um, are you guys? You guys still have enough uh, podcast there to keep it running for a while, even though yeah, you can't get. We're recorded into mid-May, um, so I think we've got five more. Uh, Death Cab for Cutie came out today, and we've got five more. Good, I good. Think. And and then uh, we've been toying around with trying to get the audio quality sharp enough to do some remote recordings, and then you know figuring out if we can do some some guests remotely and stuff like that. So cool. We'll keep them coming. I'm sure. Um, all right. I think that's pretty much it. Okay. Uh, Do you have any other parting shots? Eric? Yeah. Uh, happy Passover. Happy Easter weekend uh, to all of those celebrating. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you can. Uh, there, I'm sure there will be a lot of Zoom aided family not get togethers or whatever we're going to call them. Yeah, sure. I don't know what you call them. Um, uh... Video conferencing. Uh, video conferencing your family memories yeah. yeah i don't do anything for easter i'm uh none of this applies to me all right well but i hope the people who are celebrating those things enjoy them yes all right guys we will talk to you uh next week about you know i don't know if we're doing that draft thing next week or the week after but we'll you don't even set, now know. you've spoiled that we're doing some sort of draft you would uh i'd spoil that by saying one of us needs uh, the number one pick for something okay what else would we need the number one pick for I don't know. The person who doesn't get to do this podcast next week. <laughs> oh, thank Well, then, then, yeah, I I either really want or really don't want the number one pick then, uh, depending on whether that gets you on or off the podcast. 
<laughs> uh, coming to you by himself next week, Eric Kareen. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Stay safe out there and stay smart and all that stuff. And thanks for listening. See ya.